live from the Trier Mega Zeppelin. This is Austin Danger Podcast, the only randomly curated Austin Powers theme podcast on the internet. I'm Kevin. As always, I'm joined by super producer extraordinaire Mackenzie Wilkes. Oh, hello. The wickedly talented. <laughs> I was about to say that sounds familiar. <laughs> <laughs> Adele Dazim. Uh, every... The wickedly talented Adele Dazim. How did he? Okay. How did he? How? <laughs> like, how do you get to Adele Dazim from Adina Menzel? Like, I, I mean, I get the Z's, but like, I don't understand like phonetically how you get there. Have you ever like not not missed a step on the stairs? but like scuffed your heel on it enough to like fall maybe a little bit, but probably all the way down the stairs. I've never fallen all the way down the stairs, but I've done that thing where you like think there's an extra step and then you kind of trip over yourself a bit. Yeah. Wick. You know what I mean? (laughs) I guess. Wickedly talented Adele Dazim. Did I tell you recently? Sorry. I know we're getting so away from this. There was a time recently where a friend asked me to be um, a reference for them. And this woman called me and I was expecting the call. And she said, hi, I'm looking for Mackenzie Walker. And I went, oh, um, I think you mean Mackenzie Wilkes. Is that who you're looking for? That's who I am. And this woman with all seriousness in her voice said, oh, that's how you pronounce that. Excuse me? <laughs> can you give me the, can you give me her pronunciation one more time? Walker, like, wa- like Walker, Texas Ranger. Like, like she oh, saw Wilkes. Internet. And she thought it was Walker. I don't know. That reminds me of Adele Dazim is what I'm saying. Your internet burped. So I oh. thought that it was Mackenzie Wilker, which no, makes a little it's... more sense than Walker. <laughs> Walker. Just letters don't even exist. Anyway, we got a podcast episode to do. <laughs> what are I we doing? I didn't even finish the intro. I didn't even no. finish the intro. <laughs> if this is your first episode, welcome to Awesome Danger Podcast. Every week we spin a giant wheel of hundreds of movies connected to one of our most beloved trilogies, the Austin Powers films. Yes. This week, I swear to God, it wasn't my idea. Yes. In fact, I'll even admit on air, there have been weeks where I have landed on this week's film and re-rolled because it's just not the time. (laughs) But what better time than right before we celebrate our nation's birthday than to discuss Mackenzie's (laughs) pick for this week, Richard Kelly's Southland Tales. Look, if you're if you're annoyed that we went on a tangent, just think of it as an immersive episode. We're aiming to be as bloated and tangential and random as the film itself. We are the fluid karma of podcasting in this moment. <laughs> and if you don't know what that is, this is going to be a long hour for you. This is going to be a weird episode if you have not seen Southland Tales. Yeah. Um, what do we do on this show? We talk about what we watched semi-recently. We haven't done that in a while because of all the oh, yeah. all the wonkiness with our recording schedule. God, we were tired. Can I also say, before we do what you've been watching and while we're doing Tangent City over here, <laughs> thank you to everyone who felt um, like they could reach out to us and let us know how emotional they got at our Sixth Sense episode. There's a big mm-hmm. emotional response to you putting in that scene with Haley yes. Joel Osment and Tony Collette at the end of the film, <laughs> which got me too, honestly, listening back to it. I mean, I literally was tearing up, adding it into the episode. I was tearing up while I was editing it in. So um, yeah, not shocked that people, I mean, it's just a, what a profoundly beautiful moment in that film. And I couldn't not include it. It's just, it's the best moment in the movie for me. 
I will also say our friends at 70 millimeter, I don't know how they heard we were doing it, but you know, they've been kind of, well, we wouldn't exist without them. Yes. But you know, you hear something on Austin danger podcast, all of a sudden, three weeks later, you're hearing it on 70 millimeter. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh my God. You know what I mean? And, uh, no, all, all jokes, but they're doing unbreakable this week, which I did watch. And, oh, um, I didn't even think of the correlation between that. Wow. 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 Unbreakable. Still good. I wept <laughs> like, an, like an idiot. Oh my God. I love unbreakable. Is that the We're beginning of future your... episode? What you've been watching? Yeah, I guess we can kind of get into that. You watched Unbreakable. Uh, I watched a bunch of, I watched a bunch of superhero stuff this weekend, actually unintentionally, hmm. because the big movie everybody's talking about and will be totally over with by the time this episode comes out is the Flash. Um, which was not a total disaster. I'm sorry, Ezra Miller. Perhaps a total disaster. Not super compelling in this film either for me. It's the Flash. I don't know. I feel like as someone who doesn't like the MCU, your interest in Flash is like the La Brea tar pit. Just a black (laughs) void. Endless. Once you put something in there, you're never seeing it again. Yeah. I mean, I I like DC. I've always been more of a DC person, but I just uh, do not feel the need to see this film for a multitude of reasons. The biggest one is Ezra. Uh, sure. And the, and I just like, they've made it very clear that, that they're just going to start fresh. So I just, I don't know. I think the whole drama around this movie has been so moronic and silly. And I just, I, I, yeah, no fuck WB, fuck the DCU right now. And fuck Ezra Miller. Yeah. I mean, I think all those are true. You know, what was the most fascinating thing to learn about that whole situation is that the flash I assumed that they had at least shot some of the movie before the pandemic. <laughs> no, no, they started in tw- 2021. They could have pulled the plug on this. And then the Way end earlier, of the movie, yeah. the end of the movie was reshot three times, including January of this year, which is the one they went with. Oh, because my God. Because <laughs> one ending was designed to sell one set of movies. And the other, the second one was supposed to sell another line of movies. And the third one, without giving too much away, because I don't know if people care. And that's okay if you, whatever. We're all, we're just normal men. <laughs> the the ending they went with traps the Flash in a certain place forever. And the impies of that actually made the movie pretty great. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Because Barry Allen is now trapped in a certain way. The world he comes back to at the end is a very funny one. I'll leave it there. Oh my gosh. Before before I ask you what you've been watching, I also wanted to shout out the Netflix Please. documentary Arnold, which I tore <gasps> yeah. through. Which is wonderful, but don't don't take it from me. Our buddy Brandon Ulrich, our Arnold correspondent and inevitable guest. Please, yes. Um, He has compiled a minute-by-minute comprehensive review of the documentary, which we will link in the show notes, and you should check out if you saw it and loved it too. If I have some thoughts about the documentary, it's that, A, 
the rare Netflix show that wasn't long enough. I could have watched eight hours of this easily. Hmm. Although th- it was as, as a three hour thing, it isn't a really great piece of TV and really compelling and pulled you through the whole three hours perfectly. In my opinion. Nice. I could have watched eight hours of this and I could have seen more of my boy, Paul Verhoeven. <laughs> Polly V. Which, um, I got my Showgirls 4K, and that I watched little... Basic Instinct also, so oh. big weekend for Polly V in my house. Polly V. Have you seen Benedetta yet? Did you ever watch that? I liked Benedetta. I was not, I like, too. enamored by it, but. He's a weird director for me, but generally I like I like my mans. Future that episode wackadoo, because of horniness, Benedetta. <laughs> yes. But that's it for me. I don't know. I, I You know what the thing is? I just don't know what people want to hear about The Flash. <laughs> Right. Like I saw Transformers and that was gray as hell and kind of boring. <laughs> Wouldn't expect anything less. The revisiting of the original Transformers on this show killed the entire franchise for me, I think. Oh, oh no. I'm sorry, <laughs> Kev. I didn't mean to ruin it for no. you. I mean, I had fun. I gave it three stars. I liked the movie fine, but it is a, just a loud gray mess. At least there are characters with thoughts and feelings this time. Even if the thoughts and feelings are like, Hi, I'm I'm Jack or whatever, and that's all they have to say. Um, oh, well, but yeah, that's it. <laughs> Love Mackenzie, it. I know you're doing eight and a half on Criterion Connection today. Yes, I am. But besides that, what else have you been watching? Um, I'm trying to think of what to mention. Um, this is from actually a couple weeks ago now, but I do feel like it fits into the vibe, maybe of things our listeners might enjoy. So I want to bring it up. Um, we, me and Rachel were heading home from our vacation. It was Friday. It was Shabbat. We were trying to find a good movie to watch. And uh, for some reason we were talking about Gene Wilder and we were like, what else is Gene Wilder in? What's a random movie I can watch Gene Wilder be charming as Helen? Cause we had just watched blazing saddles, I think. And I stumbled across this movie called the Frisco kid that like nobody I know has watched, which is why I want to oh, recommend yeah. it. Yeah. Tell me about this. Um, and I loved it so much. It is Gene Wilder and Harrison Ford. And uh, here's the thing. A lot of people consider this movie to be a failure and it was a failure upon release because blazing saddles had just come out. Right. So they were marketing it as like a brand new Western comedy with Gene Wilder. And Harrison Ford was two years out of his first outing as Han Solo. So he was this hotshot, cool, young, sexy actor. They were like, yeah, get Han Solo and the guy you love from Blazing Saddles in one movie. Let's do it. And it's just not, it's just not a comedy. Like there's some funny-ish moments and there's definitely some shoehorned comedic moments I think ultimately fail in the film. But the film at its core is about Gene Wilder playing a rabbi who is trying to get to San Francisco to become the rabbi of a congregation. And he kind of gets tangled up with a bank robber, Harrison Ford. And it's kind of a buddy road trip comedy, odd couple kind of thing of these two guys, just buttonheads, but they kind of love each other and they're becoming best friends. Uh, And I was so profoundly charmed by this film and thought it was just so like loving. And it was such an interesting depiction of Judaism on screen in a way that I've never seen before. Um, because, and I wrote a very, very long review for this movie that I can link in the show notes. Um, 
it's not available to stream anywhere. We rented it on Apple. Um, but I did want to just mention it because I know a lot of our listeners love Star Wars. Harrison Ford is great in this. He has a moment that like almost brought me and Rachel to tears. It was a beautiful acting moment from Harrison Ford. Gene Wilder is like maybe some of the best acting I've seen from him ever because he's not really playing a comedic shtick. He's playing the like heart and soul of this character in a way that is really moving. And so just want to recommend the Frisco kid. I know that's a very random movie to talk about, but wanted to, wanted to mention it. I have to watch this. I have to. <laughs> I loved we it a lot. It when you watched it also. It's a good, I think it's a fun little movie. I definitely dig it. Um, and yeah, other than that, I watched, I've been, I've been in a kind of comedy mood lately. I don't want to talk about it too much. Uh, cause I'm sure we'll do it on the show at one point. I rewatched Juno for the first time since being a teenager. Uh, that film was my entire personality when it came out, uh, when I was like 14 ish, 12, 13, 14, that era of my life, the Diablo Cody isms of my speech pattern were, were very real at that time in my life. And, I had a little fake pipe and I had the slinky shirt and I had the posters and I wanted to get into orange Tic Tacs and I just couldn't. And, um, Juno, in my opinion, holds up. What a wonderful script. What a wonderful performance from Elliot Page that was nominated for an Oscar that year. Um, amazing Allison Janney, JK Simmons supporting performances, Michael Sarah, I think pitch perfect as we talked about a couple weeks ago in super bad. He's great in this kind of time in his career. Uh, Juno rips. And I just, I don't know. I love it. Uh, and the last thing I want to touch on is John Early. I'm sure you saw me log this last night, I think. Yeah. Has yeah. a new special on Max. Not HBO Max, but Max. The and, home of um, the Flash. The, <laughs> the home the Flash built. Uh, or the house the Flash built, whatever. Um, John Early is a very funny male comedian. And in my brain, I think he's one of the funniest comedians working right now. He's just a weird, funny guy. Uh, and I love his special. Uh, now more than ever it's on max right now uh, i just want to recommend people seek that out he i think it takes a minute to get going he he takes a second but once he hits his stride the jokes are hilarious and he just has a kind of very funny physicality that he brings to all of his jokes that are really great uh and the ending of this is thrilling i do not want to spoil it he does some musical numbers and the final musical number is brilliant and amazing and uh yeah i i i love it i just want to kind of boost that for people he's so funny uh i love i love john early i watched it maybe the last 10 minutes and it was great yes (laughs) it was so good i had a friend who saw him live a few weeks ago and i was texting that friend and i was like this is amazing and he was like yep i saw it in person and i can't imagine how much fun that must be so yeah I love, I love, I love myself some John Early, but Kev, that's all I watched. What can I say? Oh, I, Asteroid City. I saw Asteroid City. Hey, next <gasps> week. Next week, I get to go on Friday. I'm two days away from seeing Asteroid City, and it's killing me. I'm gonna go again. I will. I will also Eyes. say before we before we get out of what you've been watching and, and stuff, I will say people should see Asteroid City. Um, did I think it's great? Who knows? But what I will say is I was a little confused and a second viewing may actually help a lot of people. Hmm. I have seen some people saying there's some more abstract themes in this one. It's interesting. Just go in. Things are not quite what they seem in a good way. So just keep going, keeping that in mind and uh, have an open heart. And we'll talk about it next week. Speaking of having an open heart.
Whoop de news. What does it all mean, Basil? Yes, speaking of open heart, what better way to prove that you have an open heart by donating to charity? The Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences collection received quite a few donations this week. Here are just a few. The costume worn by Eminem as B.U. Rabbit in Inevitable Episode 8 Mile. Mm. Costumes worn by Michelle Yeoh, Kihi Kwan, and Jamie Lee Curtis, and Stephanie Hsu in Everything Everywhere All at Once. Um, Christian Bale's Dick Cheney costume from Vice. Oh, that's so funny, actually. Which, let me tell you, if I if I rewatch that, may may end up having a new half star but the reason we're talking about this is because the original crushed blue velvet suit worn (gasps) by mike myers and austin powers international man of mystery at least one of them has been donated to the academy museum that's amazing which means that one day when (laughs) mike gets his uh academy museum tribute and we fly out there we'll be able to see the suit Oh, that'll be an amazing, that'll be an amazing day for us. (laughs) In 2091. (laughs) 2091. The other piece of Austin news this week is Summer Games Fest happened over the last week or so. And it is now very old news. But I did notice a little bit of Austin vibes in the new Yakuza game. The new game, it's called Like a Dragon Infinite Wealth. And the trailer for the game is the main character ending up on the beach, nude, covered up by what else but an array of hilarious props, just Uh, like our pal Austin Powers. How funny is that? There we go. Anything to maybe be Austin news. I love it. So that was a lot of fun. That game will come out, I think early next year and it won't have that Austin Powers moment in it maybe in the opening cutscene but it's fun to have dreams <laughs> I also congratulations to our friends at Escape Hatch for relaunching their podcast finally um, <laughs> love it they had a little bit of trouble long story short back to the future episode of Escape Hatch is now up I highly recommend if you love sci-fi and love movies and love fun podcasts that we've appeared on Yes, indeed. Go check out Escape Hatch and the Dune Pod back catalog. And you appeared on Dune Pod talking about this very movie that we're talking about today. That's right. H on Dune Pod uh, got on hands and knees and begged me, please, Kev, not Little Shop of Horrors. Let's do Southland (laughs) Tales. And as you can hear on that episode, he got what he wanted. He got an episode about Southland Tales. That's so funny. I I forget that my Showgirls episode and your Southland Tales episode are back to back. So it's just sandwich. (laughs) carnival of crap (laughs) just a just a caravan of crap although i i will say i am proud of southland tales being in the dune pod canon that was very important to me at the time because they did donnie darko Mm, mm -hmm, which we'll get mm -hmm. to in a moment but uh i mean you can go listen to that or you could stay tuned for right now Everybody tuck in. It's time for Mackenzie to bring us into the world of Southland Tales. <laughs> I, I I, will say I've been preparing for this synopsis for a year and a half. <laughs> so it is wild that it is not me. 
I spent a full 30 minutes writing this <laughs> because I wanted it to be perfect for you. And I know that there is, I, everybody, I'll see you in two and a half hours. It's a long one. It's a long synopsis, but I, I wanted to get as much as I could and I still missed some. So it's going to be a lot. <laughs> we'll get into the whole thing. I'm stra- I'm tucked in. Tucked I got in. my bib on. I'm ready to feast. Let's do it. Mackenzie, bring us in. This is the way the world ends. This is the way the world ends. This is the way the world ends. Not with a whimper, but with a bang. In 2005, El Paso and Abilene, Texas are destroyed by nuclear warfare, catapulting the United States into World War III. An agency known as USI Dent has been established under an extension of the Patriot Act whose primary purpose is to constantly monitor U.S. citizens and censor the internet. Republicans are in power and a group of neo-Marxists threaten domestic terrorism. In the wake of fuel shortage caused by the war, a German company named Trier, led by the Baron von Westphalen, designs a generator propelled by ocean currents with nefarious, deeper intentions. This is the way the world ends. In 2008, on the verge of an important election, Boxer Santeros awakens with no memory and makes his way to the bed of Krista Now, an ex-porn star turned reality television host and pop star. Together they have written a screenplay that foretells the end of the world entitled The Power. Krista and her old producer Cindy meet, wherein Krista admits to her affair with Boxer Santeros. Cindy, who is a leader in the neo-Marxist movement, decides to use that information to blackmail Boxer's father-in-law. Republican candidate Bobby Frost. The neo-Marxists create an elaborate scheme in which they will send Boxer out with a quote-unquote racist cop to research his role for the movie, only to film him participating in a staged double murder alongside the cop to blackmail him and destroy the GOP's chances of re-election. While that quote-unquote racist cop is Ronald Taverner, who has taken the place of his twin brother Roland Taverner, who has been kidnapped and drugged by the neo-Marxists. After Ronald takes off with Boxer, the neo-Marxists who have been compromised are raided and many of them murdered by USI Dent, with Roland narrowly escaping. This is the way the world ends. On their way to the stage scene, Boxer and Ronald are interrupted by Bark Buckman, who interrupts the scheme and murders the neo-Marxists before telling Boxer and Ronald to leave. Boxer receives a call from an obsessive fan and employee of U.S. Ident named Starla, who has read the script for The Power and posits herself as a character in the film aiming to help Boxer, who now sees himself as his character, Jericho Kane. After some drama with the neo-Marxists in the Frost household, where we meet Boxer's wife, Madeline, elsewhere, the Baron continues his nefarious schemes under the noses of everyone. Martin Kefauver meets with Pilot Abilene, our narrator, at an arcade where he deals him fluid karma, the fuel-slash-narcotic produced by the Baron's company. We find out that this narcotic was tested on soldiers in Iraq. Abilene dissociates to the killers as he reflects on all the things that he has done. 
This is the way the world ends. Final act is upon us as the neo-Marxists continue to attempt their blackmail plot while Boxer is kidnapped by film producer Fortunio, who has been working for the Baron the entire time. <laughs> he awakens with his wife and tells her that it all ends tonight. Elsewhere, Ronald meets Martin, who is attempting to kill himself upon the news that he's been drafted to go to Iraq, and the two decide to go to Mexico together instead. July 4th is here, and the Trier Company is launching its new mega Zeppelin. Neo-Marxist cells have converged in Los Angeles and are erupting riots across the city. Boxer, who is at the party in the Zeppelin, goes to the Baron's chamber where all the secrets are revealed. He learns that the Powers script is correct. As a result of the Baron's experimentation, the world is coming to an end and the Earth's rotation is indeed slowing down. This has led to a rift in the space-time continuum, opening on the outskirts of Lake Mead. The Baron hired Ronald to drive Boxer through the rift, and Boxer traveled back 69 minutes in time, duplicating himself. The original Boxer was killed in an explosive charge from the vehicle, but Ronald's duplicate wasn't, resulting in his twin brother Roland. If they were to touch, the fourth dimension would collapse onto itself. This is the way the world ends. Earlier in the film, Roland, upon his escape from the neo-Marxist raid, was taken by an arms dealer driving an ice cream truck. Ronald and Martin, in the midst of chaos in the streets, crash into this truck, and the taverners are reunited. They hold hands in the truck, and they begin to float into the sky with Martin on top of it. Boxer interrupts the performances at the party on the Mega Zeppelin and threatens to kill himself unless everyone evacuates. But it's too late. Martin is picking up a missile launcher and aiming it at the Zeppelin as Boxer's tattoo of Christ bleeds. The Traveners hold hands. Friendly fire. I forgive you. As the Zeppelin explodes, the Taverners are surrounded with light. The Messiah has come. This is the way the world ends. Not with a whimper, but with a bang. This is Southland Hills. laughing <laughs> i wasn't laughing at you i feel like i just watched the movie and i'm exhausted i'm i'm good to go right to letters should we just go right to letters <laughs> i i feel complete thank you i was like i have to make this good for kev and so i went with a kind of artistic twist on it weaving the poem in and out um that was so good <laughs> i'm i'm like there, a new bar has been set that will never be reached. Oh, again. we should never do a synopsis that long ever again. I can guarantee you. When I'm editing this, I'm going to lose my mind. Wow. <laughs> the Killers is going to loop like 10 times. <laughs> Kev, please enlighten me with your storied history with Southland Tales. I've become infamous for loving this movie. But the truth is, I only saw it a few months before 
any I met anybody online to talk about movies, to be honest. Mm. I saw it early 2021. I had heard for years about Donnie Darko this, Donnie Darko that. And then I heard that he had done two other movies, The Box with Cameron Diaz, which isn't as bad as people say, but it's close. <laughs> and Southland Tales, which I've always heard is like one of the worst movies ever and hated and this and that. And then one day I, I, I was getting into like Arrow Blu-rays and I heard that they were about to put out Southland Tales and I saw the trailer and I was like, this is going to be one of my favorite movies of all time. And I bought it immediately blind and it came to pass. And since then it's been one of my favorite movies and I talk about it any chance I get. Although I, I will say this, I think is the, finale of Southland Tales from me for a long time. <laughs> Makes sense. And I love it because it's it's just unapologetically this guy who has been told he's a genius his entire life. He makes one movie and it is exactly what you would want from a movie that thoughtful of that time where critics don't get it audiences don't get it but it gets a cult that builds up a following and you're called a genius over and over again and it's about you know southland tales is really just about that guy having a panic attack about the iraq war as we'll get to and that i think is a beautiful and powerful thing and uh yeah that's been my experience with southland tales mackenzie you've been waiting a long time for this day yeah i mean i i think it was one of the first things i knew about i'd never heard about this movie before i met you i i've never seen donnie darko i also to say i've never seen a richard kelly film sure. before i was just looking it up and i'm shocked by how he pretty much hasn't done anything for like 13 years uh it yep. seems yeah that's that's kind of sad um and yeah i've never seen any richard kelly films and i knew of this film because of you i you know i i have that too right there's movies i feel like people associate with me bound is a big one um scooby-doo 2 monsters unleashed i know it's another big one there's like movies so i get the feeling of like whenever someone engages with this film they feel like they have to engage with you too because like this is your movie this is the thing i associate with you so i get that like feeling and i did have that with you this is a movie i've always associated with you and when we began the podcast we always knew we were going to do this at some point like that was one of the i feel like when we first were building the wheel out right We've talked before how the wheel is curated to a sense. Like there's still like a thousand movies on it, but they are manually added by us because we think they'll be interesting to watch. think they'll be silly. They're movies we love. And the place we first started when we were building the wheel was what are our favorite movies ever? Let's see if they connect and add them so that we know they're there. So Southland Tales was like one of the first things that was ever on the wheel. So I knew we would do it at some point. So I actively like did not watch it. Like I only listened to the Dune Pod episode today because I didn't want to spoil myself. Uh, and so, yeah, so I, I guess the, I, all this to say is I have no history with this film. I never knew about it. I was a child during 9-11 and the uh, the war on terror and the Bush administration. I was not a, a, a person with a developed brain. So I don't have a ton of, I guess, I don't know, association with that time in our culture and American history in a way that like made me would have made me find this film, I think, earlier. Um but yeah, I'm very interested to talk about it today because it's one of those movies that <sighs> I don't know if I can fully give myself over to the group of people who are like, it's a masterpiece, but it is interesting. And I, and I am thinking a lot about it in a way that is 
uh, is rare. I feel like for a movie, like it, it is, it is kind of floating around in my brain more than I thought it would hours after I've watched it now. Um, so just excited to have a place to talk about it, I guess. I have no idea where to begin. I mean, I think that's good enough, right? Is like, it's interesting. Mm -hmm. Cause the movie is, uh, jarring and uncomfortable to watch the theatrical cut. I will, is actually pretty it's pretty rough to me mm. i don't know it's not it ain't great it ain't great uh i'll say that i i guess i'll just say my like overarching vibe that i left the film with and maybe that can help us get into more like granular stuff but like i find the themes of this film very interesting and i can absolutely see i read the oral history as well that av club put out a couple years ago that I thought was really interesting. It gave me a lot of perspective on Richard Kelly. And there's a quote from the end of it that I'd like to share later. Cause it's, I think very beautiful kind of weirdly, like how much he loves this story and he loves this world and how this, I feel like we as adults, you and I, we have seen the country go through massive traumatic events, especially in the last like 10 years that I'm now able to like take in as an adult because I'm not, six right i was six when 9 11 happened i wasn't really aware of it but i've been aware of a lot of the stuff that's been happening in the last 10 years so i understand all those anxieties and fears and anger at the world at politicians at the hopelessness you feel when all these things are happening and it feels like there's no end in sight um and so i identify with a lot of those themes and the feelings and the vibes of the film in a way that like i totally respect and but but I don't think that the execution of them worked for me. I, the directing didn't really do anything for me. The script is bad. <laughs> the script, the lines are funny, but I don't know if they're, I don't know. I know it's satirical, but I was like, oh my God. And I, there's like a single performance in the movie that I thought was good. Like, but all the performances left me wanting but it's this weird combo of like artistically and execution. I did not like it, but the themes and the ideas I kind of love. I just wish it had gone deeper and been executed better. And that is why I am on team. Let Richard Kelly remake this film, but with all of the chapters incorporated, I need Richard Kelly to be funded to make this movie in the way he wants to make it. <laughs> like that's what I personally need. Those are my big thoughts. Sorry. <laughs> Interesting. Can I follow up real quick? How would you feel if this movie were 15 minutes longer and eight of those 15 minutes were a subplot featuring Janine Garofalo and Kevin Smith? <laughs> I I saw her for two seconds and I was like, what the fuck? Uh, I figured she was cut out. I, I wonder what you would think of the Cannes Film Festival cut. The biggest change is that you're kind of led into a loose vibe kind of a looser vibe justin timberlake gives you exposition but it's not literally a powerpoint of the comic <laughs> in a very weird way that doesn't really work i i am actually very curious it's so funny i was working on the synopsis and talking to rachel about it and reading her things from the oral history and like again like though i don't think it's a great movie it's such an interesting movie and it's really taking over a lot of my brain today and i am interested in watching the can cut i might give it some time just in between but i i am interested in seeing the differences there 
I think that when I was reading the oral history and this, like uh, H referenced it a lot, the salon, like explanatory article, the thing that I was most frustrated with is that it seems like so much of the stuff in the comics would have been so interesting to see in the film. Uh, and so I'm left wanting with some of the stuff from that I'm reading were in the comics. And so, yeah, I wish uh, I just, and I know that Richard Kelly like wants what? to do well, like the fact that like, Chris is just fully psychic and like she flew in a plane over the is that in the comic book I read that somewhere that she like is psychic and so she wrote the majority of the power because she literally can see the future and then also I have no memory of that (laughs) maybe it's not the comics but I was seeing something about how like there's some implication in the comments that she is that she is psychic and that's why the power is apocryphal almost if that's the right word of like the of the actual apocalypse is because she is the one who is like putting that information in there because she's psychic so she's technically gone through the fucking dimension thingy and they just never acknowledge it it. i remember yeah and then also like the one thing that i was so moved by by the end was um roland and pilot's like relationship and i wish i had seen more of that and i think in the comics i probably would have gotten more context about the relationship and by the end of the film i thought that was so compelling this like him roland like seeing himself with the injury he gave pilot and pilot still calling him his best friend as i forgive you like it's a beautiful moment and if it had been built up if i had like seen that relationship more i would have like felt more for it so like there was just things i was like i'm just i, I kind of want to read the comics because i'm like i feel like there's a lot of stuff in there that i would have loved to like see in the film it wasn't our fault it wasn't our fault friendly fire i forgive you friendly fire friendly fire friendly fire i forgive you friendly fire i forgive you I forgive you. I forgive you. Revelation 21. And God wiped away the tears from his eyes so the new Messiah could see out to the new Jerusalem. His name was Officer Roland Taverner of Hermosa Beach, California. My best friend. He is a pimp, and pimps don't commit suicide. Again, like there was just like I was just left wanting a lot, and but in a way that like I know Richard Kelly could probably do it again, and he wants to. Have you read that oral history where he's like, "I'm gonna be working on this movie for the rest of my life"? Basically, have you seen that? Of course, I did. Yeah, and he will. He will be working on it for the rest of his life. Like, I want him to make it. I, know, I want man. him to. I really do. I think that when that Blu-ray came out, when I saw it for the first time, everybody tried to give it the old college try with like an art house reread of Southland Tales. Hmm. I I don't think it's stuck, unfortunately. I think the theatrical cut is too alienating, too actively alienating. What are the, in your opinion, the major difference between the theatrical and the can cut? Also, I don't want this episode to be me shitting on this movie because I do find it interesting and fascinating. No, I, I'm here uh, for it. And and I, also, I'm here for you shitting on it. <laughs> no, because the thing is, I think I liked it, but also I didn't. It's like, I've never been more confused by a movie in my entire life in a way that I kind of love. It's, I don't know. That's, I don't know. It's, <laughs> it's kind of strange. But yeah, what in your opinion are like the major like differences that would maybe 
alter the experience between the cuts. So when they went to the festival, they brought the comic with them because the original cut of this movie brings you up to speed halfway through a story. Mm -hmm. Because the idea was, because this is what we did in the early 2000s, the story began in the comic and then you went to the movie. Because they don't do a slideshow of literally the comic, it brings you into a real world instead of immediately alienating you with just a pile of information Mm. that is all very complicated and hard to parse. Like, watching it that first time, I was like, what is fluid karma? I don't even know what that (laughs) is. I love the movie, but I could not believe, I I couldn't string it together. I couldn't quite, I've logged this thing seven times and there's still, on Letterboxd, and there's still things about it I I can't quite explain. (laughs) And still things I'm discovering in like this watch. So that just being the narration brings a vibe and a tone to the world that you have to sit there for like half an hour to really absorb in the theatrical. Am I for, for me? Mm-hmm. So that's like, you're already there in the world and you already get it. A eh? um, the music of Moby. That's, that's a joke. <laughs> um, there's just stuff. There's just more of everything. There's more dialogue. There's more character moments. There's more setups and information. Mm. So instead of just telling you the comic, they give you a little bit more of everything. And the subplot with fucking Janine Garofalo and Kevin Smith. We can't forget that. That is in there. Way more Kevin Smith. Like, so, I mean, you might not even know this. And then I didn't think I see I saw it in the oral history. Like, what was the reason for doing the comic instead of just making it part of the film was it budget or was it just like they did they always envision I'm, it as a comic or i'm just kind of curious how they came to that decision because again like i just feel like i would have liked to see that part of the story on screen um especially with how the comics are so hard to find now you know what i mean like you really feel like you're missing a chunk even if they show a bit in the opening like I don't know. I, I would have, I, I, it's why I'm desperately hoping that someone funds his, like I saw he wants to maybe do it animated. Like just someone fund this man's film. I need to see it desperately. Here's, here's from wiki, but it does answer your question. Okay. Okay. The graphic novels are the first half of the Southland tales story. The film itself relates to the second part, right? We knew that. Yes. Southland tales was conceived as a nine part quote, interactive experience. The first six parts would have appeared as 600-page graphic novels released in a six-month period leading up to the film's release. I guess they reduced those to three graphic novels, mm-hmm. and then which which you now know as Southland Tales, the prequel saga, which I can get you a copy of that after this show. Um, and then it says here, a website was also developed to weave the narrative, which means... You know, the Wachowskis were actively involved in the game Enter the Matrix, and mm-hmm. Enter the Matrix, it was designed to tie into the sequel films. And that's what people did, is you had your website, and your website was super interactive and had, you know, a marketing campaign there. And then your tie-in products were also very close to the core thing. He was just doing what the studios were doing at the time in mm. terms of the multimedia experience. Although I would argue that the, the graphic novels are kind of unfinished mm. and they look weird <laughs> and they feel weird, but 
Yeah, I find it so interesting reading that oral history that was done in 2020, right? Which is like, and I I loved the, as I kind of said earlier, this quote of him at the end, this epilogue, where it it seems like even he doesn't feel like the film was the realized version of it it could be. I I have to assume from budget because from what I've seen this budget was spread very thin um but I loved him saying yeah I'll dedicate the rest of my life to making it happen I will continue to work on Southland Tales until I die whether or not we get to make more of it or not I hope we do uh and that we will but I will be working on this until they put me in a mental hospital and old folks home or take it away from me and then he goes on to speak really lovingly about the actors. And he was like, the fact that they showed up for me and they took these risks with me. Like it, it was, it was moving to me to see how lovingly he talked about the story. And it made me very feel very endeared to him. And, and, and just like, yeah, I'm just like, I want you to be able to tell this story. Cause I do think it could be told better. And I do think it could be told tighter. Uh, and I think he could do it if he was given the time and the money to do so. And um I can't believe I'm like a Richard Kelly stand now. And I just want him to make Southland tales again. <laughs> I just want him to, gotcha. I want him to make South, like I'm just really endeared by his passion for this story. Even if I don't love it as a film, I see the potential in it. I can see the passion in it in a way that is like interesting to me. Gotcha. <laughs> Cause you're like, this is nuts. It's- this is batshit insane. I have to know everything about this man and everything about what he thinks. Truly. Yeah. Especially since the original version of Southland Tales is a cutesy mistaken identity heist movie. Yeah, I was reading that. How did we get now? You can see that movie in there. It's the Roland Taverner neo Marxist stuff. Mm-hmm. But how did we get there from here? So fascinating. Yeah, I, I feel like there's so much behind the scenes stuff we could get into. Cause like, yeah, I was reading about how for the audience that yeah, the original that, that that's kind of just caper plot was what it was. And then nine 11 happened and it was like, boom. <sighs> yeah. And God, he was so young writing this, which is what struck me too. when I was reading because again, I don't love the script. There's certain lines in this that I'm like, were written by a 14 year old boy, like the repeated uses of 69, uh, which nice. Um, I'm also a 14 year old boy. Um, and then like the whole pimp thing is so like 2005 <laughs> for me. The like, like well, that's the, the use thing. of pimp like, to mean cool is like so of its time in a way that is hilarious to me. But then I was looking it up and he was like 25, 26 when he was writing this. Like he was a, he was a kid. He was fully a kid writing this. Which is I- insane, right? Like I feel so unaccomplished. I love doing Austin pod, <laughs> but man, this guy, I'm I'm five years older than he was then, mm. and it's affecting me like this now. I do think his age for me at least helps contextualize some of the <laughs> some of the artistic choices uh, across the board, to say the least. Yeah. <laughs> although, although I I will say there are some other very 2005 things that make the movie seem quaint. The entire SNL cast, you mean? <laughs> Mandy the Moore. Entire, not just the SNL cast. John, Sherry. Yes. Maybe you might want to stop listening right now. <laughs> but like Amy Poehler and then the grandparent SNL cast. What is going on? John Lovitz, Sherry O'Terry, like Sherry O'Terry and, and very a- uh culturally inappropriate box braids the entire <laughs> movie. Wearing like a weird mermaid bikini top over a tank top. 
insane. Which all of that casting was on purpose. And yes, Jason Lee that. was also originally cast, I read, which is bonkers. Well, there was like a but it was all on purpose. Two second shot of Eli Roth. Did you see that? There was like two seconds. No, I didn't see. He's him. one of the neo Marxists who gets shot. He just gets shot, and I'm like, is that Eli Roth? Like this cast is so random. Even though just a random people that get shot are like Eli Roth. Like, yeah. He tried to make a conscious decision to make people break type and in the process gave us at least the weirdest John Lovitz performance of all time. Weirdest John Lovitz performance of all time. Yeah. That's the thing is I, I was reading in the oral history, which I'll link in the show notes because we're referencing it so much. Yeah. That he really, really wanted these comedians there because that was the original concept, right? was comedians blackmailing an actor. Um, for me, it did hinder the tone and I understand playing against type, but then when they were on screen doing these weirdly serious things in this bonkers Banani's world, it felt like an SNL sketch. Like it fully, like the, like their scenes verged on like, it felt like a weird SNL sketch for me. And I was like, what is happening? I, I like the dynamic of the 20 minute comic recap into <laughs> a political drama about magic gas <laughs> And then you're watching a poem by Dream. <laughs> the thing is, the funny parts what are funny. What movie is this? It's wild. What the fuck is wrong with you people? Is that Ronald? Check this out, pig. Fascist dogma applied. Revolution by surprise. My vagina will not be denied a vote in your subjective election. That's an original poem by Dream. are very funny but like i can't tell if they were trying to be funny does that make sense yes like that's my thing is i'm like this is so funny like i i when we get into popcorn notes like half my notes are just weird lines that i laughed at like genuinely because i thought they were funny but then i was like the tone of them made me feel like i shouldn't be laughing at them. <laughs> like i couldn't quite tell the if new york times said god is dead <laughs> i haven't taken a shit in six days or whatever the hell he's that that is or a bowel movement. That is the fulcrum. <laughs> That's the fulcrum of the whole movie. That's the key. I didn't connect that he was supposed to be the, the constipated baby until like the Messiah line at the end. I was like, oh, so he's the constipated baby. Okay. Aren't we all just constipated babies? We are. Well, it was so Got wild that in that Salon article, which again, I can link in our show notes if people are interested. They, um, they give some background info and they, they describe the whole plot of the power, which I guess is detailed maybe in the comics. There's, there's chunks of the power screenplay, which is exactly as you would imagine. And yeah, it sounds very, very wild. The, the whole plot of that film <laughs> and that like the baby's constipated, but when he farts the whole, they're like earthquakes happen or something. Yeah. Something like yeah. that. I, I I will not lie that you're right. That opening part, the first like 30 minutes are so dense. I did pull up that salon article immediately and was like reading the plot along just to make sure I was like <laughs> keeping up with what was happening. And all the biblical stuff was kind of going over my head. Cause I was sort of trying to, I, I've never 
spoiler, I mean, I guess my truth, I've never read the Bible. Uh, I know nothing about the book of Revelation. So I was having to really like educate myself on the book of Revelation. Why do you think he kind of leans into Christianity so much, especially with the whole I read in the comics, there's this whole thing of like the the tattoos are all the religions and the one that bleeds is the religion that wins. So like Christianity, I guess is the winner of religions in this film. Like, I'm just curious what your take on all that is thematically. Oh man, your guess is as good as mine. (laughs) I've always thought that that was just him. That's just what it was, you know, like he, he, the end of the world made him think of the book of revelation and then the book of revelation is, and then it all trickles down from there. I think a lot of things in this film are best described as like a vague idea Mm. trickling down. I'm yawning in the middle of this because, uh, (laughs) because it's exhausting to even begin to think about. (laughs) I was just like, very like, what are we doing, man? With this, like, I don't know. What do you mean Christianity's winning? Like I I was just, what does it mean that Christianity won the battle for earth? Yeah. Like I'm just, I don't know. Is he Christian? Is he trying to, is he trying to make a comment about how a lot of people who love George W. Bush are Christian and they love Jesus and country music and whatever? Is that all tied together? I don't think so. I think it's pretty not convincing. Um, but I'm just trying to spitball something because <laughs> it, well. I mean, I know it's a very hard question. I just was like, I was it was going over my head a lot and then I was reading about it afterward and was and and was just shocked by how kind of one-to-one the film feels I guess with the book of revelation and like why he is invoking that I found very interesting I guess we need Richard Kelly to come on Austin Danger podcast Richard Kelly what are you doing next week (laughs) what if I emailed Richard Kelly surely I can email him where is he at can we get his email? This is a real question. I'm Googling Richard Kelly email. <laughs> That's not going to work. There was, I think if I go on IMDb Pro, we can maybe get it. I don't know. I, I need Richard Kelly to come on, and I just need him to explain everything to me like I'm like I'm five. The um the Southland Tales commentary has been memed to death and is on YouTube. <gasps> and I will say that the answer to a lot of questions is in the comics, comma. Mm. So who knows? Again, why they should be in the movie. I don't know. Like, ugh, Jesus. It just feels that the comics are he the key Milwaukee. to everything, and they're not there in the film. He, he was in Milwaukee over the weekend, <gasps> screening Southland Tales at the Plaza in Atlanta. Richard Kelly. Richard Kelly, are you screening Southland Tales in New York? Richard Kelly, come on Austin Danger Podcast Challenge. We have to we have to mobilize the forces. We'll get in on we this. We got to we got to. But uh, I don't. I don't have an answer today to why Christianity wins in Southland Tales. <laughs> Does it have to do with the state of Christianity in 2005 when he's writing it? I don't Possibly. know. Is he a devout Christian himself? And this is just what he sees. I don't know. Is Revelation just the version of the apocalypse that he has chosen to portray in Southland Tales? Mm-hmm. That's probably closer to the truth. Absolutely. Right. It was very easy. We're going to get political now. Let's do it. I mean, this movie is but so there political. Have been, there have been many times in the last uh, 20 years, far beyond that, where it feels like the world is coming to an end mm-hmm. and there is no hope. And of course, the message of Southland Tales is even at the end of all things, there is still some hope. Um, one of the many messages 
One of the messages is teen horniness is not a crime, which we'll get to. But what I, so, so getting back to my original point, it felt like the world could end at any moment, of course. Mm -hmm. And uh, it invites that read of Christianity to be the fault of the end of the world, I suppose. I don't know. No, I mean like. For this to be the end. I don't know though, man. I don't know. Again, like, I feel like I'm sure people who were more like adult and grown up during 9-11 can speak to this better but like i do feel like you know the election of trump and what's happened to the country since then has felt really destabilizing and strange as a person who is queer and liberal leaning and liberal i'm just liberal and not leaning but you know what i mean like i i'm a gay person who is a democrat or who votes democrat i should say um and i don't know it's just like it does kind of feel like every year the world is getting worse and worse and worse and as we're like plummeting further into god global warming and a lot of other horrific things like it's like the like yes politics are horrific um people are weaponizing their religion and and i don't think this is for all christians i think mostly evangelical christians are are weaponizing their christianity to hurt other people like i think all of these themes are still very much around i think that's why people are revisiting this film with a lot of love because it does capture that manic energy of just feeling so overwhelmed with everything right now um because you know we were just in florida right a state that that literally the naacp just put out a a thing that was like you know people of color and queer people probably shouldn't go to the state and then we went and it felt kind of weird and we were fine but it was this weird moment of when we got back in chicago that immediately i saw on twitter that the at the airport we flew out from there were neo-nazis uh, raging against trans oh people at that airport, you know, and obviously we weren't affected by that, but I was like, <sighs> I don't know. It was just one of those weird moments where I'm just like, it's everywhere now. It's just everywhere. It feels like we're drowning in it. And I can see why Southland Tales is the way it is because I feel like I am feeling those feelings now too. And I, that's, I think another reason why I have that. I don't know that care I'm endeared to Richard Kelly and his writing and his feelings in this film because I get it. And it just feels like we're continuing to get worse. And I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with this, but we were on the political market and it's like, man, it just feels, it feels so bad all the time. And it's been just bad for like so long, like not even just last, you know, since Trump got elected, it's been, it's been fucking bad. Like it's just been bad. And it's like, how do we even fucking deal with it? And maybe that's the question of Southland Tales is we can't, our brains will just fucking split apart. You know, I don't know. I first saw the movie the week. I want to say it was two weeks after January 6th. Hmm. (laughs) Oh my God. And that was also COVID times, the super lockdown where I really didn't leave my bedroom or the living room for much of anything at all, right? And so I felt stuck, trapped in space, basically, while while things were just getting stupid. Yeah. They were just stupid. Like, what are we doing? So foolish. So ridiculous. So, like, just, I don't know, man. I felt really down at that time about the world and everything. And that's where I really connected with this movie, because it's like, wow, this was... This was like 2006, 2007, right? And and like Richard Kelly is talking about like, hopefully Obama gets elected in the commentary. <laughs> that's how, wow. that's when it was. 
and and it's like nothing's really changed. We thought it did. It didn't. It only got worse. And I still feel like the world will end at any time. Whether that's true or not, I, I don't know. But like, I, I still feel like I'm at the end of the world here. Yeah. It does feel like we are pretty much always on the verge of World War Three. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, I get it. That too. I do have some context from from a blog called Pop Culture Christ. Uh, excuse um, me. And it's it's actually pretty fun. I, I think it's funny, and I'd like to read. Please, it. Okay? and then after that, I feel like we should move into popcorn because that's when we're going to hit all the actors and the other stuff we want to talk about. I agree. We have to. There's one performance in particular we haven't touched on that we have a lot to talk about. So much to talk about still. It's a hard Stay movie tuned. to wrap into conversation. There's just so much to talk about. Here's pop culture. Christ. You ready? Please. By the way, link for this will not be in the show notes. Don't go looking for it. Do not tell them. We talked about that. Southland tales. So the, the, the pop culture Christ is saying uh, he ignored the references to revelation because he thought they were just flavoring until I realized Southland tales is the story of revelation retold through the lens of 21st century fears of the end of the world. It's all there. The whore of Babylon, the antichrist, the two witnesses, etc. You know, all of those classic book of revelation <laughs> characters. Yes. That, 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 that parts me. Timberlake's narrator acts as the Apostle John, watching the end of the world unfold before him and struggling to communicate what he has seen to those who will listen. Once this revelation dawned on me, I saw the movie in a new light. The promise of the end of the world in this movie's advertising was not an empty one. Um, I'm also going to read this because this episode is very special. I'm going to read this paragraph from Pop Culture Christ, which is incredible. The biggest difference between Southland Tales Apocalypse and the biblical one is where it goes after the world ends. The story finishes with the end of the world, and then the credits roll. The viewer is left to ponder what happens next. Not so with the book of Revelation. When Christ returns and this world comes to an end, justice will be done. Jesus will call all of humanity to account for their actions, and then all will be brought to justice. Those who follow Christ who have put their faith in the redeeming sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, will enter the new creation, the new heaven and earth. They will live for eternity with God, free from the stain of sin. Those who reject Jesus, however, will face the unfortunate reality of eternity in hell. Is he saying that should have been in Southland Tales? <laughs> like it ends and then the rock the is like Revelation. judging everybody. <laughs> oh, the hierarchy of power in the Southland Tales universe is about to change. <laughs> Uh, he, he ends, those who reject Jesus, however, will face the unfortunate reality of eternity in hell. The book of Revelation will be filled with imagery and scenes we find difficult to understand. But at its core, the message is clear. Jesus will come to bring justice. Will you spend your time after the apocalypse in heaven or hell? As a treat, check out this dream sequence from Southland Tales <laughs> featuring Justin Timberlake. Uh, love to be in hell. Um, I love, love to be, to in, be hell. in hell. Um, Kev, we should talk. We should do popcorn notes. We should pop some corn. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This is this is a long. <laughs> this is a longie. Would you like to begin, or would you like me to start? I would like to begin because Please. I would like to pop some corn about Dwayne Johnson. Okay. I think that this is my favorite performance from The Rock. Period. 
I think in 90% of other movies, he's playing himself and is very boring. <laughs> and I think that this is one of his few performances where we get to see something approximating maybe a character. And on top of that, this like meta layer riff on the rock persona in the character of Jericho Kane. I think that's so cool. Like seeing the panic attack after the John Lovitz murder. Right. And he's got the hands like this, which let you know it's boxer and not, or whatever, like the characters are switching, you know, I was confused why he was randomly becoming a different person. I, I could not track that at all. I was very confused by that. That's boxer Santeros. The confident guy is Jericho Kane, the movie character. Because the screenplay is real. And he has to become Boxer Santeros. That's why the beach thing happens the way it does is because it's a porno. So she says that thing. She's like, you know, says that stuff. Wait, it's a porno? What? Yeah, that's it's Krista now. They wrote a movie called The Power. It's Krista now. But wait, The Power is a porn? Nobody R's the C like Krista now. Wait, The the Power is a, a porno about the apocalypse. I thought it was just a movie. I think so. Oh, I thought it was just a movie. Was it just a movie? I don't know. I was really um, confused by the like whole Jericho boxer situation. I was, I was very confused by that whole that whole thing, and the little fingers thingy. I thought was very silly. I, I could not really. The movie was what's going on. The movie was true. <laughs> I love The Rock. I thought that was so strange. What did you think of the big Kevin Smith reveal? Um, I, I mean, it was kind of whatever, I guess. Like I, 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 I was like looking for him cause I knew he was in this. And I heard he was under prosthetics. And so I was like looking for him, but he didn't really have much to do other than like, I don't know. This movie did a thing to me where like so much happened, but then I left being like, did anything happen? And like, I can't tell you what <laughs> Kevin Smith did in this movie other than like sit in a bunch of prosthetics and make phone calls. And he, he was in the revealing the scene where they reveal the secrets. Right. Yeah. Yes. Come back for the can cut when there's 20 minutes of Kevin Smith and Janine Garofalo. Absolutely wild. Yeah. I don't think I've ever seen the rock acting before. Um, Maybe get smart from 2008, uh, which is maybe I used to to like, but this is my first time seeing him act. I, again, I said earlier, there was only one performance that I think actually I felt was very good and it was not the rock. I was kind of let down by, most of the acting in this movie, but I think they were working with a script that I thought was also very bad. It was one of those movies where I was like, I don't know how you can make this good. So more power to you actors. They also didn't know what the hell was yeah, going on. Yeah. Like <laughs> I saw Justin Timberlake in some interview in 2011 was like, I don't really know what the movie's about. It's probably just performance art. <laughs> I was like, okay, Justin. He also was only there for like two days. Yes. So. And his performance, I think actually was the one, well, we'll get into mine, but his, his performance was the one I think was actually very good in this movie, which is not something I thought I'd leave saying. Wow. Give me more of your popcorn notes. I love John Lovitz. I think John Lovitz is ridiculous. <laughs> and um, the whole, the whole, like the dream, the stupid scene they have to do to make it seem like there's a real domestic disturbance and the little squibs that go off. That was like, great. Yeah. I love how stupid and avant-garde and silly the people are. You could tell that that's like, that's the stuff that survived from Southland Hills 1.0. Mm. I have a paragraph about John Lovitz. <laughs> Wallace Shawn, one of the most unlikely characters ever in this your film. Your guy. You're, I saw him and I was like, holy shit, it's Kev's guy. 
<laughs> the scene where he's dancing with with is it who's he dancing? Is it Serpentine he's dancing with on the blimp? Oh, I don't remember. Maybe probably. I mean, that's like his girlfriend. Oh, it's so, so amazing! Yeah. It's in like slow motion, and he's like, like just loving it. So absurd. Wild. I love the guy. Um, the last popcorn note I have to talk about is a guy who's in maybe 10 minutes of this film, Max. I mean, Max. He's not in it very long. But I've never clocked before the look on Will Sasso's face when Fortunio is revealed to be working with US Ident. What is going on with Will Sasso? He, I, I, you know, Fortunio, I wrote my notes. His name, it's giving Twelfth Night. He sounds like a ship's captain and and Shakespeare's Twelfth Night. He's not really doing much, but it was very funny to see Will Sasso because I was, when I was like in middle school, such a huge Mad TV person. <laughs> like I was massively a Mad TV person. And um, it was wild that he's like, I got 10 people from SNL and I'll take one Mad TV guy just to top it off. Like, right. Um, yeah. Who, who knows what Will Sasso is doing? Who knows what anyone's doing in this movie? Honestly, everyone has like, Except for like the the core like five ish characters, everybody else has like ten minutes max of screen time, and I feel like they just are like they're throwing spaghetti at the wall. They're like, let's see what sticks. Let's see. Woof. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's all I got. That is my popcorn notes. I'm not gonna lie. This one, there's so much audio right of me talking about Southland Tales and why I love it in very particular. I wanted to give you the spotlight. Oh, well, I'm worried this that this was a downer of an episode. Out. I don't want to. Oh no, no, no! Quite the contrary. <laughs> well, I love when when Southland Tales doesn't work for people. <laughs> it bar- again, it barely works for me. It works with me mostly because it's so weird. It rides a thin, thin line. And again, like I, you'll see my rating. It's 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 complicated. I guess I've never been this complicated by a movie in my life. Um, I have a lot of random popcorn notes. Hustler being the sponsor of all the war footage and the tanks, I thought was very, very funny. Uh, one of my first notes was starting with chapter four is so funny. Some George Lucas shit. Yeah. Um, Wally Sean is a wild inspired casting <laughs> choice, but the scene where they're on the beach, every single person in that scene, I was like, Oh my fucking God. Cause it's Wallace, Sean, Curtis Armstrong, Beth Grant, who is an actress who is randomly in everything. And I absolutely love her. Zelda Rubenstein from fucking right. poltergeist and by Ling. I was like, what? Those those people appeared on screen together, and I was like, "This is the like Avengers, but for like the weirdest people you can put together ever in a movie." Um, so that was funny. A lot of my notes are just lines I thought was funny. An example is, "We're a bisexual nation living in denial." <laughs> Great. Uh, I wrote Raiden from Mortal Kombat is here. Um, is that Chris Lambert is that his name? It's Highlander. He oh I know him as the he's Raiden in the like live action Mortal Kombat from Paul W S Anderson. No kidding. Um, Rachel loves that Mortal Kombat, so I've seen it a lot, and he is hilariously bad in that movie to me. And he's he's always talking like this in that movie, like he's doing this very strange, <laughs> affected voice in a way that I think is literally the funniest thing in the world. Um, so fun to see him. One of my notes is just Ronald, the name Ronald. Okay. That's what I was laughing at during the synopsis. <laughs> Ronald Taverner. Ronald Taverner. Rolling a name that could Taverner. Not those two names could not roll off the tongue 
less. Like I, I don't know. Like they, they're just like the worst. They don't roll. They they stop on your tongue multiple times, and they're and it's painful. Uh, I wrote. I love how he chose the least cool names of all time for like half of these characters. Like Ronald, no offense, is my grandfather's name, literally. And I'm like, why is this like your cool messiah is named Ronald? As in like Ronald McDonald. Like what in the world? That and there was another moment where later the the woman, the the president's wife, was being kissed by some guy randomly. And she was like, not now, Dennis. And I was like, what is up with these character names? He has like Jericho and Boxer and then has like Ronald and Dennis. Like, I don't understand what this man's doing serpentine serpentine which ended up being a reference to the magic dna in the whatever the hell and also it's in the comics that like or she's in the movie she's in the power apparently like the the name serpentine is in the power i don't know another line that i thought was very funny you need to become a racist cop let's dry our tears and face our fears (laughs) Uh, i thought that was really funny i really Um, need you to be a racist cop okay (laughs) this is not a moment i want to linger on but there is a moment in this film in which uh the n-word is said and i only want to bring it up to say the rock's acting choice where he just (laughs) slowly removes his glasses and stares at sean william scott after he says that uh word is uh hilarious again there's so many lines that made me laugh my ass off i don't know why the line fascist maybe but not racist was so funny the baby processed energy differently. When has it ever been in the Bible that you have to have a bowel movement? Whatever that whole interaction was, I thought was funny. Uh, Deep Throat 2, the fucking Watergate reference, was hilarious. <laughs> I'm not in that movie. <laughs> Prop, That was such a funny line. Oh, my God. Um, Proposition 69. Again, the amount of 69 references, I was like, he is a child, man. And that line afterward where it's like, 69 only meant one thing to Krista normally or whatever. Right. Well, I I will also say, I feel like there's commentary in here and it's very kind of similar to Austin Powers in this way. Somehow. I know we got there crazy. I feel like three things happen. Number one, Richard Kelly had this cutesy heist comedy script. Number two, nine 11 and the Iraq war two and two and a half. Number three, the Paris Hilton Carl's Jr. commercial where she's eating the hamburger on the hood of the car. Yes, I vividly remember that. I don't know if you remember, and maybe this is just me like coming up in those years, but the approach to sex in the world was very weird to me as like a kid. No, I agree. I think that there was a lot of sex in the 90s. You must remember this is doing that series about erotic 90s right now that is talking about like the state of sex in the nineties, I think crossed into the early two thousands with the way women's fashion was like, yeah, I think of Paris Hilton in that era of like femininity that was very hypersexualized. Whereas now I think we've, we've moved into like now the Gen Zers are clutching their pearls and everything and like getting really kind of puritanical about sex in a way that's interesting. It feels like we're sort of now we're getting the backlash of like, we have to pull back now from sexual, from this hardcore sexuality. But I agree that in the early 2000s, there was definitely like a lot going on sexually in the culture. In fact, I think I would say that my big conspiracy theory about this film is that 30% of it is all reaction to the Carl's Jr. commercial specifically. (laughs) Oh my Um, gosh. I mean, I, I get that with the whole character, honestly, of Krista. And the trucks having sex, like graphic okay. sex. 
the graphic genitalia on the cards. Yeah. I texted you while I was watching this and I literally yeah. um, wanted to be dead. That was <laughs> the worst thing I've ever seen in my life. And can I tell you, there's a fucking quote about it. Um, in, in the, oh my God, it's in the oral history. Have you read the quote about him talking about the, the car sex? Uh, I haven't in a very long time. It is time. so, hold on, I'm pulling it up because he is so angry about it in a way that is so funny because he was talking about how like, obviously the like studio did not want that in the film. And Richard Kelly says, it just sounds so aggressive in a hilarious way about how passionate he is about these cars fucking. Richard Kelly says, quote, maybe there was someone at some point who wanted to cut it out, but anyone who wanted it to cut it out of that movie was probably someone at some point who was like, can you cut the Justin number? I think those are the same kinds of people who were like, can you cut the cars fucking, you know, like clearly someone who has no business ever watching this movie should just stay a thousand feet away from this movie for the rest of their life. Do not come near this movie. It is not for you. <laughs> I love how that is his barometer. He's like, if you cannot handle graphic sex from vehicles get the fuck away from my movie like i love that that's his line of like what you could handle i guess also the oral history completely destroys my paris hilton conspiracy theory Mm. because he was just working on a bmw commercial and was like what if the car is humped and that's the whole origin of that (laughs) there's no subtext in fact i i have to be honest in this late hour my faith is shaken in southland tales because if that isn't a thing if that's not a part of it then what else isn't a part of it i need answers we need to get richard kelly on this podcast instantly he's on twitter he seems pretty active is all i'm saying we should tweet at him uh the morning after pill across the time zones interaction i thought was very very funny about how it becomes a day before pill i thought that was really really funny (laughs) um again like i thought so much of this movie was funny but i couldn't tell if it was intentional and i made my brain get all jumbled they're so good at improv that was a really funny line (laughs) um Then I got to my notes where I was having a breakdown about the cars having sex. I did love him shooting them. And then, as you mentioned, the the the, the blood bags popping after they were actually shot. So it was like the gunshot happens and then the fake blood pops. That was a very, very great touch, I think, in that scene. Mandy more randomly here, not doing a spectacular job acting, but she's here. And I do love the song Candy by Mandy Moore. And I respect her very much. Teen horniness is not a crime. We got to talk about it epic the i did not realize until i was listening to dune pod today that there was a line about columbine in that song i was like oh my god uh what a wild thing to put in a film i just i i love the song it's again it's the grossest it feels very of its time very gross production on that absolutely forced rap observe the nerds who shot at columbine is the line you're talking about yeah Okay, wait. There's a whole three and a half minute song <gasps> that has a whole bunch of lyrics. Oh my jinkies. 2008. Never got laid, didn't get laid, traded in their books, and they picked up a gauge. Wow, the whole song is about Columbine. The song is about Columbine? Pretty much. And it's basically they, like because they were incels, that's why they killed people? 
Yes, exactly. I'm having a breakdown over <laughs> this. I'm having a breakdown. Uh, speaking of musical numbers, my next line is about Justin Timberlake iconic numbers number to the killers um this is the best part of the movie for me i saw this on twitter a few weeks ago uh rachel and i both immediately were like does this rip really hard and when i got to it in the film it was like a a breath of fresh air this was like the movie i wanted (laughs) the whole two and a half hours uh because it was just wild and it and for me it used music to express themes that were so interesting and i think that like obviously the stuff with pilot and uh roland are are trying to talk about the effect of the iraq war on veterans and ptsd and it was just one of the many themes i wish the film dug deeper into but the like these couple of minutes did it for me for pilot and i thought justin timberlake i feel crazy saying this did a great job i actually really liked him as pilot and I loved his like moments where he's like dissociating at the end of the song. I think that's some of the best acting in the whole movie. Uh, so this is like, I will revisit the scene again and again, because I think this was the best part of the whole movie. And I love it. Couldn't have said it better myself. Oh gosh. I try to get through. I know we're running so long. Oh my God. Um, there's a girl who's best friends with Krista. That's in Debs. <laughs> Uh, the, if you don't let me suck your dick, I'm going to kill myself was wild. And then I paused. And so I still had 50 minutes left and I was like, Oh my God. I also, I have to admit, I love Southland Tales. It's one of my favorite movies. It's great. I had a real hard time watching it for this show. (laughs) Maybe it's because last year I watched it like five times. I mean, possibly that might be it. I had a but hard like, time. Boy, oh boy, the length of this movie gets at me. Even though I'm the one that's like, I want more because I want the comics to be part of the movie. But whatever. The soul of a monkey can't survive the dimensional threshold. Thought that was hilarious. Sixty nine minutes back in time again. A lot of sixty nine going on, and after that, my my notes turned to all caps because I was not aware Miss Rebecca Del Rio would be in this film. And not to be, not to be, you know, not to be Randy Roundtable obliterated, but her tits are hanging out in this movie. <laughs> Rebecca Del Rio, the first thing you see is gazongas. <laughs> the second that, 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 that shot happens. And I was like, Miss Rebecca Del Rio, I saw her live a few months ago and that she did not look like that. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck? Um, but Rebecca Del Rio, obviously amazing. I love her in Mulholland Drive singing, um, crying. And I saw her live at a showing of Mulholland Drive and she is transcendent as a singer. So very fun to see her be here. And she sounds amazing. Kev, you're laughing your ass off. Please enlighten me. I did want to go ahead and go look up the uh, clip from Southland Tales, Star Mangled Banner, it's called. <laughs> you were not joking. Did you not remember? Like, I could not believe everyone right now. Google image search. Rebecca told me Southland Tales. There's just some other stuff going on in that scene. Also, <laughs> this is also the the movie that basically says, like, sex is gross and weird. For, so for funny. Three hours. Yeah, there's just there's a lot of cleave, a lot of cleave cleavage going on in that scene that made me made me fall out of my seat. The density matched the film. 
So we're about two hours into this movie, and then I wrote a note that I said, I'm sort of sitting here. It has taken so long to get to not a lot of story at all. Because, <laughs> like, I got to the part where they were, like, revealing all the time travel stuff, and I'm like, we're just now getting to this? Anything. Um, the pimp lines I thought were very cheesy, and I and I hate that that was, like, like the last line of the film was, like, pimps don't kill themselves. I was just, it was just, again, very 2005 usage of the word pimp in a way that I was like, this is very strange. And gosh, I just need to end these notes. Saw Janine Garofalo for three seconds in a background shot. We need, we got to keep moving. We're I'm running us late. Those are my popcorn notes. We got to keep moving. We got to truck through this. When are thing. we? When are we doing this episode? When are we doing Southland Tales on Janine Garofalo podcast? <laughs> we should we should watch the Kanka and then do like an extra episode on just Janine Garofalo scenes. <laughs> <laughs> Don't. Don't I'll write do it. checks you can't catch. I'll do it. I'll, I'll fucking do it. I'll do it. I love Janine Garofalo. We'll work on that. Kev, give me your final thoughts or ratings. We got to get out of here. We got to... God, the tape The tape is just flying across the room. The sun has set. It's dark outside. We got to yeah, get going. it really is. Um, five stars. Will I ever <laughs> fully understand Southland Tales? During this recording, my faith in the entire movie has almost collapsed. So, but it's the joy it's because you know what it is. It's because the trucks having sex wasn't because of anything else other than he thought it would be funny (laughs) that I'm now questioning every other decision I've ever made in my life. But for now, (laughs) five stars, easy peasy. Um, Amazing. I am fascinated. I have to know. I, you know, it's one of those, like, I, I have been scared to give a rating all day because like, it's not a five-star movie for me and maybe no. one day it will be. I don't know. No. It's one of those films that it has completely taken over my entire brain since I saw it. I am so fascinated by it. I am so confused by it. I am, I am the Benoit Blanc. It makes no sense. Compelled me though. Like I'm like, I'm, I'm literally that meme. Um, so like overall i don't think that this is a well-made film like i again i didn't love the acting i didn't love the writing i didn't love the directing but the themes and the passion and the love behind it genuinely compel me so if i could just leave it unrated i would i probably would just not rate this movie if it was a normal movie but for adp i am giving it a heart and probably two stars two and a half stars (laughs) Wow. Wow. <laughs> I've been so scared to give that roof that rating wow. all day. I'm here for it. I mean, look, objectively, but again, it's probably a, heart. a 2.5. I don't think I've ever given something like a low star rating and like a heart, but I like I, I hope that that encapsulates the the confusion in my brain and my heart right now over this movie uh, that I will be watching again. I will absolutely watch the can cut. And I, I wonder if that will change on the can cut. This is a movie I'm willing to give the time to, and I am fully on board with please someone fund Richard Kelly to make this film in the way he really, really wants to. So, uh, yeah, I loved it, but also hated it. I just never been this confused by a movie, and I kind of am exhilarated by that. What more can I say? That's it. The book is closed. Holy moly, the book is closed. Are you ready to go into our little show? Let's let's do this. Let's go. I'm sweating my ass off. Seven and a half hour mark. (laughs) Look again. We're an immersive episode. We're going to be as long and bloated as the film itself. That's right. And full of tangents that didn't mean anything. (laughs) I love gold. At the Golden Trailer Awards, 
Southland Tales was nominated for the Golden Fleece Award. What is what is the Golden Fleece Award? I am finding that out right now. Oh, I think it's because the movie is bad because oh. Drillbit Taylor is also nominated. <laughs> wow, I haven't thought and about that movie, movie called ever. Gracie with these people. I just don't know who they are. I hit a button on my Mac keyboard and then emoji came out. I was like, I don't want to do that. Awake, Jessica Alba, Arliss Howard, Hayden Christensen in 2007. So a seal of quality if there ever was one. (laughs) So Golden Fleece, probably for like best trailer for a bad movie. It was nominated. It didn't even win. At the Scream Awards, it was nominated for best science fiction movie. And of course, the Village Voice film poll, the late great Village Voice in my beloved New York City. The film won worst film tied with the bucket list. Can't please them all. Finally, of course, um, the, the film Southland Tales infamously ran in competition at the Cannes Film Festival. If you ran into Richard Kelly or any of his colleagues, you were handed a full graphic novel book of the backstory and you were shoved into a theater where you would watch this movie and uh, they got booed so bad. I think the movie only played once the entire festival. But uh, to be fair, he sent the movie to Cannes, not thinking it would get shown. So I that's so know. funny. They loved it. They get it. That is I love gold. And now we transition into the Alan Parsons project, the weekly segment where we tie the films of the week into the Austin Powers trilogy. I'm going to go very quickly with this because this episode's so long. Our biggest link, of course, is Sherry O'Terry, who shows up during one of those. Uh, no, she's in International Man of Mystery. Mm-hmm. Right. I think so. She, I, th- she's mostly cut. She's right? the flight attendant. Yes, she's. Actually, the I know attendant. that her scenes are mostly cut, but she is technically in the film. Yeah. Yes, Dumb and Dumberer. When Harry met Lloyd, she's in. Could you believe that? <laughs> What a what a convincing and hearty laugh. <laughs> Boy, Sorry. I can't wait. She's Sleeping Beauty in Shrek the Third. I didn't know. Oh, I didn't know that either. Wow. Future episode. Very much. Double future episode. future episode now. Her first role is as the receptionist in Liar Liar. I've never seen that movie. Oh, my God. It's going to be a bloodbath. <laughs> the last person I'll call out. There are way more links than this, but we got to go. Al Godo who appears in both Southland Tales, the Austin Powers trilogy, and, hey, Charlie's Angels. Hey, hey, hell yeah. Operates mostly in stunt capacities, kind of as the stunt coordinator. We'll be watching The Goldfinch from 2019, thanks to him. So thanks for that, Yeah, Yeah, not great. Captain Fantastic, which Mike Myers just did a whole Q&A on Sunday at the Metrograph. So that's fun. And, uh... A movie called Safe, <gasps> but is not Todd Haynes' Safe. It's Fuck. from 2012. <laughs> Damn it. You got me so excited for like five seconds. He was the stunt coordinator on Todd Haynes' Safe. What would that have been like? <laughs> I don't know. Can we get the stunt double in here? Julianne has to read the newspaper and look sad. It's an she, intense Julianne stunt. has to drink a glass of milk, and she's lactose intolerant. Get the stunt double in here. 
All right, stunt double leave. Julianne, come in. Action. How dare you call me lady? No one could deliver that line like Julianne. Oh, nope, when are we nope, watching nope. Magnolia? Does that does When that are we doing... You... Okay. So Southland Tales is too long, too random, too confusing. When are we doing Magnolia is the next question. <laughs> Literally. That, that, that will be the redemption of Southland Tales. Is the Magnolia two and a half stars for Magnolia from Mackenzie? Oh, absolutely not. There you are. You're over there. We have a few yous over there this week, both of which are about Southland Tales. Two quick little emails. Oh, First comes from Danny, the host of the Next Issue podcast and contributor to the I Read Comic Books podcast, who I believe has emailed us before. Uh, thank you for coming back, Danny. Danny says, hey there. So this is one of the movies in the Rock's filmography that I had never seen. I had to rent oh, this. No. I had to rent this film. I am sorry to report that I did not finish this film. <laughs> I, I don't got, blame you. I got one hour into it and just could not go on any longer. This was not for me. JT's narration was like torture with that accent that I could not locate. I will say everyone in the cast seemed to be having fun. Their performances were not the issue. They were actually pretty good. Regards and take care. P.S. When are y'all doing the core? LOL. What is the core? I have been, I've been asking that question for weeks. Mackenzie doesn't know, but every episode, Danny, I, I, you caught it. I try to find somebody who's worked on the core. What? Okay, Tooch is in it, so you, and Alfrey Woodard, so you know I'm in. But like, what the hell is this? I've never seen the core, but it's a movie about people who have to drill to the center of the earth. <gasps> And blow up some nukes to get the earth running again. Oh, Claude, you got to get the earth running. You just got to, sometimes you got to turn it off, turn it back on again. There was another movie around that time where like a guy had a dad and the dad was like a scientist and he got lost and he was trying to do the experiment to find his dad. And I mixed that movie up with the core. I think mm. one day I'll find that movie. It'll be even worse than the core, but we got to watch the answer the is soon enough. Maybe maybe before Magnolia at this rate. I don't know when we're doing the core, but Danny, thank you for that email. What I'm curious what the hour mark in Southland Tales is. So I wonder like what he didn't see. Like I'm very curious what what Danny missed out on. Probably didn't see Teen Horniness is not a crime. That's true. That's just that's a darn shame. That's a darn shame. Well, we have one, <laughs> we have one more letter from I believe Yeager Five Thousand, aka Ryan, who says, "Greetings, ADP. Southland Tales sounds like a hoot. I haven't watched it yet, but I'm sure when I do, I will. It will not be boring. That is true. Uh, that's one. That thing is that's, definitely true. Yeah. Uh, I did watch the Love Guru a couple of weeks ago, and boy, does it suck by name and suck." <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god this is a brilliant joke and boy does it suck my name and suck very well by reputation very good amazing <laughs> joke oh my fucking god in the meantime i will continue to will the wheel to turn up wayne's world 2 or coneheads in order to fully solidify the biggest summer in austin danger podcast history take care peace what if we did coneheads never seen it Let's do it. Episode 75 is inbound. It could be any movie. Oh, yeah. I'm picking Conan. 
podcast. Yes. Yeah, we're doing coneheads. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, thank you both for those emails. Those were wonderful emails. And if you want to send us an email about Southland Tales, about anything we've done before, whatever we're watching next week, which we know is Asteroid City, you can email us at austindangerpodcast at gmail.com. The episode is running so uh, effing long, so we will not be reading any reviews this week. But when we have time, hopefully next week, we will read reviews. Uh, you can tag Austin Danger Pod, Austin Danger Podcast. We will find them. Uh, great sh- excuse to, if you're seeing Asteroid City this weekend as it premieres in theaters across the country, tag your reviews with Austin Danger Pod and we'll share them on our Asteroid City episode. But as always, the best way to guarantee your voice is heard is AustinDangerPodcast at gmail.com. How do I even answer that? Well, <laughs> I'll say this. Asteroid City, it's out everywhere now as you're hearing this. If you see it, check it out, tag us. We will be discussing it seven days from today. And before we go, mm-hmm. I know it's been a long episode. We should warn people. I know that in the past, when we've done special episodes, we'll spin the wheel to see what we're doing the week after. Yes. However, next week, for the very first time, we are going to have a guest spin the wheel and determine what our movie is going to be. Yes. Hopefully the first of many guest spinners. That is correct. We do have, we do, I have to say, have guests for predetermined films coming up. We will announce that later this summer, but hopefully we hope to have more people spinning the wheel soon. The first person, however, who will have this honor, you know her from Letterboxd Operations Department. You know her from transcripts on DunePod. You know her from her appearances on DunePod. Or I guess it's Escape Hatch now. I don't know, man. I don't know what you want from me on that one. And of course, the 70 millimeter pod. You know her from a podcast called Film Hags, I think. I heard rumor about that once. Sophie Shin will be our guest, and she will be spinning the wheel. And next week, during our email segment, we will learn what the next episode will be. So even we do not know. Only only Sophs holds the power uh, in her hands of what we will be watching. So we'll get to find out the same time as you. That's right. It's going to be a ton of fun. It's going to be a blast. So that is it. <laughs> that is it. <laughs> this is the way the world ends. I forgive me. Until next week when we visit lovely Asteroid City. From Mackenzie, this is Ken. Awesome Danger Podcast. Peace. If you want to find us on social media, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at Austin Danger Pod. This episode was mixed and edited by me, Mackenzie. Thanks for listening. Thank you.